I believe that the ability to communicate well has become the number one most sought after soft skill of our time. And not just in the workplace, but in our personal lives as well. We all want to be more engaging, more charismatic and authentic in front of an audience and in one-on-one conversation. Bottom line, we want to shine. And that's where I come in. I have coached hundreds of clients, helping them to shine in high-pressure situations, whether on camera for CNN or CNBC, The Oprah Show, or for the TED stage, or sometimes even just helping clients navigate a tough conversation. But now, I want to offer you everything I know about communicating well. And for the next 20 minutes, give or take, I will give you high-voltage, practical, and highly irreverent advice to help you dismantle the communication habits that are holding you back while giving you the skills you need to shine. But enough with the preamble. Let's dive in. Several years ago, I was working with a woman we'll call Sarah. And just so we're clear, when I give these client examples, they are composites of many clients in one for the sake of storytelling and protecting their identity. So don't think I'm selling out my clients when I tell these stories. Okay. So a few years ago, I was brought in to work with someone who we will call Sarah. And Sarah worked at a big company and had to work with some pretty big personalities, right? And Sarah was perceived as being incredibly smart, creative, and intuitive, and talented inside the organization. But she was also perceived as being very fragile, especially around certain people, the CEO being number one, but also certain outside clients these people worked with. And when I started to work with her and with Sarah's bad habits, her bad communication habits, I found that little Sarah was running the show. Remember when we talked about little you, right? It was like, it's like the small, scared part of you. And little Sarah was running the show mostly, especially when someone communicated constructive feedback in a harsh or direct way. For Sarah, this triggered a whole process. Fear would take over. She would either stop speaking and go completely mute, or she would look like she was going to cry. And sometimes she did behind closed doors. So unless feedback was prefaced by a heaping pile of praise, criticism became her kryptonite. And Sarah's inability to face criticism and take feedback really undermined her credibility and created a situation where people felt they had to walk on eggshells around her. After talking to Sarah for a bit and walking through the thought patterns that she was perpetuating the minute feedback started to surface, we figured out that the pattern of storytelling going through her mind sounded a lot like this. He doesn't like me. He wants me to fail. It's his fault I can't communicate or present well in the same room with him. He only picks on me, and then he has the audacity to give me feedback about my behavior. It's because of how he treats me. And once Sarah articulated this story that was running through her mind, she felt a little bit embarrassed, honestly. She said, God, I sound so victim-y. I sound so whiny. But the truth is that she did feel singled out, and it was really scary. It was a humiliating experience for her, and who among us has not been there? It is frightening to be singled out by someone in a position of power. 
And this, my friends, leads us to the discussion of the junk thought pattern number four, because we've been moving through each one so far. And the junk thought pattern of victimhood is a real credibility killer. It has a direct toxic effect on your ability to shine. Walking away from a victim narrative really can be challenging because it takes away the comforts of a familiar worldview. By telling yourself a victim story, you've created a sense of safety in that there's nothing I can do. I am being put upon. I am the victim here. I'm the one that needs to be met halfway, right? It's comfy. But once you articulate it and own the fact that you're playing the role of victim, it becomes untenable. And so in that conversation with Sarah, I asked her, would you be open to seeing the dynamics in a different way so that you can stay strong and create a sense of safety for yourself, even with people who can be harsh critics? I asked her if she was ready to walk away from the whole victim narrative. And here's the thing. Sarah was interested. She was down, but she was tentative. By telling herself a victim story, even if you are a victim, by the way, she was hiding in a sense. But I explained that when we allow ourselves, even temporarily, to see ourselves in the role as victim, we are no longer agents of power in our own lives. We become bit players in someone else's movie. Gross. Who wants to do that? We become poor damsels who need rescuing and protection, or we become downtrodden road warriors roaming the airports of the world, moving from meeting to meeting, doomed to a life of quiet desperation. Because we have no choice, right? All of us are capable of these narratives, myself included. But this internal storytelling leads to some really shitty communication habits, passivity, passive aggression, emotionality, defensiveness, an inability to listen well, and even despair. Not to mention, a victim narrative will give you a real bad case of nerves before any kind of opportunity to speak. So let's contrast that. If we're replacing the victim narrative with something else, what's it going to be? We want to replace a victim narrative with a narrative of empowerment. Empowerment tells us that no matter what the situation is, we always have a choice. Shout outs to my colleague, Christine Schaefer, who has been a great mentor to me through the years. I was in a really miserable job one time and I was kind of complaining about it. And she listened and she said, Bronwyn, you always have a choice. And I said, but Christine, I need the job. I need the money. I need the butt. Yep. We always have a choice. You have a choice here. You may not like some of the requirements that come with making a choice, but you have a choice. And I will never forget that advice. If a situation becomes intolerable at work or otherwise, we have the ability to look for employment elsewhere or to change the situation or the creativity to create options where before we saw none. We have the ability to state clearly for ourselves what is acceptable and not acceptable to us and make a plan accordingly. Victimhood perceives the other as quote unquote attacker. Empowerment perceives the other as someone with a set of needs and goals that must be fully understood and addressed fairly and calmly, right? Empowerment recognizes that our needs and goals 
deserve the same treatment. So working with Sarah, rewriting her victim story was critical. And she needed a story of empowerment that worked for her, right? That resonated for her. And after several attempts at it, we came up with this as a new mantra. I am here because I choose to be. If at some point this no longer works for me, I can make a different choice. But as long as I am here, I intend to learn all that I can. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. I learned that from Joel Peterson, chairman of JetBlue. What a wonderful guy he was to work with. And he shared that with me during a conversation. And I swear to God, Joel, if you're listening, I love this line. So with that new mantra in mind, it put Sarah in a place of control and power in her own life and gave her a sense of groundedness in those moments of excruciating vulnerability or humiliation. But then after working with a little bit, Sarah said, and this is really common who are stuck for people who are stuck in a victim narrative or in a toxic work environment where, you know, it's really tough. Sarah said, you know, I don't want to be a punching bag. I mean, I want to learn and I want to be here and learn, but I don't want to become that doormat saying, thank you, may I please have another while I let myself be completely humiliated with a bunch of bullshit feedback, right? But like, notice the shift. Sarah's already getting feistier than she was before. That's the beauty of empowerment. It takes you to feistier places. And, you know, listen, I get it. And I loved her honesty. And she surfaced a very real issue, boundary setting. Those of us who find the victim narrative so tempting and who like to roll around in it, typically we have issues with boundaries. So the question is, When does feedback cross the line and become bullying or a boundary violation? Each of us at some point in our careers have faced bullying dynamics at work. It's just part of the deal. Some of us are better able to cope with it than others, but I know this to be true for all of us. Each of us deserves basic decency and respect, period. I believe that with all my soul. Now, the specifics of what basic kindness and decency and respect means varies from person to person. And what's acceptable to me might be completely intolerable to you and vice versa. So for me, I will not tolerate being yelled at. I didn't grow up in an environment where that was the norm. And when people did raise their voices, it was like, hit the decks, find the bunkers, shit is going down. And so for me, it triggers a huge reaction. So As a result, I actively choose not to work with people for whom that's an option. I will not work with a client who will raise their voice at me. And if they do, I kindly explain that that's a policy of mine. And nine times out of 10, they're embarrassed and they apologize and they take a different tact. But other people I work with don't necessarily feel that way about yelling. I mean, my husband grew up in a loud family of Italians where, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But for me, huge deal. In fact, if you, I don't know if you read Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, but he described Jobs' caustic and often really hurtful way of providing feedback in certain situations. And what I remember from that segment of the book is that there were some people who could not hang. They were just completely undone by that. But others made the choice to stay at Apple because they believed in the genius and the power of the man at the helm. Neither response to that was right or wrong. 
It just totally depended on each person's goals, tolerance levels, and frankly, ability to filter through the nasty to get to the gold in what Steve Jobs had to say. Because (laughs) obviously, there was plenty of gold to be found. The key here is that you want to remain steadfastly in choice. And whatever you perceive to be bullying behavior, you receive it through the lens of, I have a choice here. I can explain that I don't allow people to, to yell at me, or I can find a way to request what I need in terms of respect and decency. But you have to develop those boundaries, right? You have to sit down and figure out, what do I believe I am deserving of as a human being at work, right? You kind of got to do that work. And once you've done that work, you can explain that to people and give them a chance to understand and work with you on it. And the power of that is that it no longer casts that other person as the perp to our victim, right? They're just simply people who aren't aware of your boundaries or people that aren't able to abide by the boundaries we have set. And from there, we can make decisions about how to proceed. We can choose to push back calmly but firmly uphold our boundaries and work towards a better relationship. Or if that doesn't work, we can make a choice to find another place to work or another friendship, or any kind of ship for that matter, elsewhere. But throughout that process, we move from a place of integrity, wholeness, clarity, choice, not from a victim narrative. So getting back to Sarah's concern about being humiliated, I asked her why the feedback felt so humiliating. Was it that she felt exposed when she was given hard feedback in front of other people? Or was it that the feedback was personal and mean-spirited? Because there's a real, there's gradations here. And she said, of course, they don't intend the feedback to be personal, but it is personal. It's my work. And I have to have that feedback in front of a group of people. And it's terrible. It's absolutely excruciating. And within that, I could hear another victim story embedded. And that victim story is, I am my work. Therefore, anyone who attacks my work attacks my sense of self. You could see where that could be a problem, right? When we get over-identified with a job and the work starts to become who we are, it makes it real hard to receive feedback because the feedback is attacking not the thing, but the person. It's a little crazy. So it's no wonder that Sarah felt so intensely vulnerable in those moments because she had attached her sense of identity to the concepts, ideas, and plans she put forward. So as soon as I said those words, I am my work, Sarah instantly realized how dangerous and unsustainable that thinking was. She knew that she would not survive long in her gig if she continued to tether her identity to every idea she put forward. So she came up with another replacement story. And it went like this, I am me, the work is the work. My only goal is for the work to be the best it can be. And I appreciate feedback, even if it's direct, uncomfortable, or takes me in a different direction. So that was the thought she pumped through her head. In fact, when I'm trying to rewire my brain, which is constantly because that's the fun about this lifetime, there's always some new pocket to to clean up. But I love making little mantras recordings in my voice notes app. I will literally put into my voice notes app the new thing I want to pump through my mind. I'll give you an example of that in another podcast, but it's really powerful. So if you need to rewire your thinking, 
Think about launching a voice note app, recording what your new mantra is going to be. Every time you get in your car, fire up your voice notes, hit play and listen to it. It's powerful. So Sarah did this, and she kind of committed inwardly to tell herself these stories several times a day, especially before her meetings. And the next time we met, she said, you know, these new stories got me outside of my own head, i.e. little self. And she said, you know, I'm able to hear the feedback at a totally different level. And as a result... I find myself coming up with ideas that I never would have had otherwise. She said, you know, for me, not playing the victim means that I have the heart and mind space to listen better and to be even more creative on the spot. And the crazy thing is the feedback wasn't all that bad once I let big me lead and I let little me go to sleep in the backseat. So this is part of reworking that victim narrative, and it is powerful magic. So friends, think about the most recent conversations you've had that made you feel like a victim or situations or relationships. And if you can, write down or speak out loud what victim story you're telling yourself. What does it sound like? Be honest. Just own it. Everybody's got a little bitty shitty committee inside. Thanks, Anne Lamott. Just articulate it. By seeing it out, written out or speaking it out loud, you take so much of the power away from it, right? Next, if you were to flip that script and write a new story that's grounded in empowerment and knowing that you always have a choice, what might that new story sound like? Don't worry about changing anything in the situation. Just write down a mantra of choice and empowerment and see what how it goes. And for the next 48 hours, I dare you to repeat this phrase as often as you can. And then I triple dog dare you to notice what shifts occur. One of the most powerful things about getting to the heart of these junk thoughts, whether it's feeling less than or greater than or us versus them or perfectionism or scarcity or the victim story, The powerful thing about working with these thoughts is that it creates a gap between stimulus and response. It makes our communication less knee-jerk. It makes us more conscious as communicators and less at the whims of our subconscious mind, of that little self that's constantly triggered and constantly freaked out and constantly comparing itself to everyone else. Creating that pause between stimulus and response is the game when it comes to becoming the best version of yourself possible. It's also incidentally, one of the things that meditation promises is it makes you less reactive. It makes you less like a ticking bomb that's just constantly about to explode, right? So I want you to play with this this week and see how it goes. Let me know. You guys, I love hearing from people. Remember, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Tell me. Send me an email. Let me know how it goes. I'm dying to hear. And I hope you have a great, marvelous day, whatever it is you're doing. Just remember, you always have a choice. Shine on, you crazy diamonds. See you next time.